This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today, Yu Yun joins me to talk about social-emotional learning. She critiques the approach to SEL advocated by Western organizations by showing how conceptions of the self, other, and emotions are not universal. By exploring these concepts from a Confucian and Taoist philosophy, she begins to show alternative ways to think about SEL. If we trace back to its origins, in the 1990s, we can see the emergence of this notion and the popularization of this notion can be related to the widespread ideas of emotional intelligence and also the development of neuroscience on emotions. So they describe social and emotional skills as something measurable and teachable and contributing to individual well-being and social progress, etc. Yu Yun is an associate professor in the Department of Education at the East China North. University. Her new article is entitled Learn to Become a Unique Interrelated Person, an Alternative of Social-Emotional Learning Drawing on Confucianism and Taoism, which was published in Educational Philosophy and Theory. Yu Yun, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thank you, Will, for this great invitation. Very honored to be here. Thank you. I'm thrilled that you are here. Can you give me a sense of the sort of popularity of this term socio-emotional learning in what we might call the sort of global education discourse? I mean, I hear it quite a lot. What is it? Actually, the notion of social-emotional learning, or in some cases, people would refer it to uh, social and emotional learning, emerged in the early 1990s. So first in the US, and then it has been soon spread to Canada, the UK, Singapore, Finland, and more recently uh, to China. And in the forms of like ideas, programs, or curriculum by a range of scholars, organizations like UNICEF, and also the one called CASEL, which is the collaborative for academic, social, and emotional learning, and some private companies. And something I would like to highlight here is since 2018, actually the OECD CD has formally joined this global trend by launching its study on social and emotional skills, which can be simply seen as its non-cognitive version of PISA. So students from nine countries were measured for their social emotional skills for the first round, and the second round is ongoing now. So whether it will reproduce a kind of like shock like PISA did is to be seen, but I think predictably it will continue to draw attention from scholars, practitioners, and policymakers as more member and non-member economies get involved. Why would UNICEF and the OECD and all these different private organizations that you're sort of mentioning, why do they see value in socio-emotional learning, SEL for short? What is it that they find so important for us to focus in on those topics? Actually, if we trace back to its origin in the 1990s, we can see the emergence of this notion and the popularization of this notion can be related to the widespread ideas of emotional intelligence and also the development of neuroscience on emotions. So they describe social and emotional skills as something measurable and teachable and contributing to 
individual well-being and social progress, etc. And the assumption is that the increased social and psychological vulnerability and behavior crisis of children and youth have been primarily resulted from the overemphasis on academic achievement and also the overlooking of non-academic development. And they do believe education can and should play a role in teaching social management, emotional regulation skills, and also some scholars have also argued that social emotional learning can facilitate academic learning. Okay, so there's a lot of different reasons why it might be interesting to look at social emotional learning. It's SEL. So obviously there's value to it, but then what it means probably takes different forms depending on which organization or which framework you're looking at. So you said you look at this collaborative for academic social and emotional learning framework. Can you explain exactly what is that framework? What, you know, how do we actually operationalize some of these ideas? What are these emotions that we are interested in? This organization, why look at then, I would like to speak a bit about that because this is the first organization proposed this idea. And also it's kind of like the main organization promote this idea over the world. So I look at the framework they provided. I mean, if you go to the website of this organization, you can see a figure and there were five core sets of uh, skills identified by this organization and uh, displayed in their figures. So namely self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relation skills, and responsible decision making. So if you look at the figure of the framework, you will see these are five domains organized in a welling structure and displayed in three colors. So it seems like they are categorized into three parts, which I often refer to the self, social relationships, and the social self-interaction. So about self, these two domains, they denote understanding and managing one's emotion to achieve individual aspirations and goals. And the emphasis of two social domains is on understanding the emotions of others from different backgrounds, emphasizing with them and by which establishing positive relationships and also effectively navigating settings. And the last domain focus on making responsible choices for personal, social, collective goals and well-being. So that's the main idea of this notion and this framework. And so this organization you said was the first one to put together this framework. It seems quite, in a sense, comprehensive framework for SEL. What's the reach of this framework? Is this being utilized in schools and in policy documents, you know, around the world? Like, what do we know about its reach? This organization is based in the U.S. So that's why I say it started from the U.S. So as I read from the references, it says like all 15 U.S. states have now have the social emotional standards for preschool and 18 states have standards for K-12. But what I can say is like more often the applications is indirect. So they do have this framework and it has been adapted into another framework and used in another countries. And also I have another example, which is also part of my research. So I do look at an organization also based in the US called Committee for Children, CFC for short. So there is no explicit citation of Cassell's framework in CFC's SEL curriculum materials. But this curriculum was actually sent to be rated by Cassell and also recommended by Cassell for the commercial uses. 
And also, when I read the report from CFC, it says that this curriculum has been used in schools in more than 17 countries around the world. So it sounds quite prominent. And is there any connection between the Cassell framework and the what the OECD is doing? I mean, is there overlaps in any ways? You know, they do in OECD's report. They do mention Cassell a few times, but they didn't really make a connection between these two things. Instead, OECD like more focus on another framework called Big Five, something huge in psychology. I think so. They say our framework is based on the Big Five personality inventory, but they do mention Cassell and reference Cassell for a few times. So it's quite interesting. So there's these different sort of frameworks to think about. And sort of operationalize these ideas of SEL for different organizations for different purposes. There are some overlaps, but definitely different ways of thinking through what SEL is. Now, I want to sort of turn to the main point of your recent article, which is to really think through the ways in which some of these frameworks are sort of advancing or built on a particular Western philosophy. Can you just sort of tell me how Cassell's, for in this instance, is sort of Built or replicating, reproducing particular Western philosophical traditions and assumptions. Thank you for this question. So, as I mentioned earlier, so this figure, this framework used by Cassell, I said that it's five set of skills which are categorized into three parts. Right? I said like the self and the social relations. So you can see the rationale for this categorization is that self is independent from one's social relationship. That's the are completely separated, different things. So accordingly, it seems that the emotional skills that concern self and others are separated, which means that a person's emotion can be individually developed without engaging with others. So you just grown up by yourself. And develop your emotion skills by yourself. In other words, although we can see, if you look at the framework and read their explanations, you can see they use words like caring, empathy, community a lot. But fundamentally, others are not constitutive of self, but the object of one's social emotional skills, which should be developed in another domain. And if we read the explanation for these skills, verbs like identifying, reflecting on. Evaluating, analyzing, demonstrating, showing, regulating—these all these verbs are used so frequently in this framework. It seems that evident that, as I quote Diane Hoffman, who is an American scholar, she wrote this in her paper. She said that emotion per se is not the focus; rather, it is the cognitive processing of emotion that is important in Cassell's framework. That's her comments on Cassell's framework, and I agree with her. So it seems like the emotions. Are to be rationalized in order to be further managed and expressed. And if we read the ethnography studies and also philosophical studies, we can see this kind of notion of how emotion should work in the society is in accordance with what I just mentioned, as we can see in the framework. And these sort of assumptions of how emotions work and how to sort of conceptualize the self and the self's relationships to others—is this based on particular Western philosophy? Do you think? Probably not particular Western philosophy. It's quite general, I would say. And probably some scholars might argue this is not the whole Western philosophy. Of course, you have diversities, and the different philosophers have different arguments. But in general, I would say the Western. 
modernity or Western liberalism would echo this kind of notion of self and emotion. I guess it sort of begs this question: if Hassel's sort of assumes these particular ways of understanding the self and the other and emotions, and yet it's being used potentially in all these different countries around the world, and Pisa is now trying to test it in all different parts of the world, of course, is there an issue of sort of cultural inappropriateness of this framework? I do think so, and I'd like to explain why I think so. As I mentioned, that in my own papers and also、um, many other scholars' work, we have argued that the notions of emotion, self-other relationship, are conceptualized in a way that is in striking contrast to how these notions are approached in Western modern societies. I think that's something I already probably mentioned. Yeah, and then I mean, in response to the cultural-related critics, so it's not just me criticizing. So it actually has been criticized by different scholars in the U.S. outside of the U.S. from different perspectives already. So, but we can see how Cassell responds to these cultural-related critiques. On the one side, they have rhetorically supported the increase of what we call a cultural responsiveness, cultural sensitiveness, and cultural adaptation, etc., etc. They have different words terms for that in LCL implementation. On the other Side, they have insisted on a shared understanding of social emotional learning (SEL). So it seems to me that for Cassell, what you can change is merely how to teach the fixed universal sets of skills. Cross cultures, right? As they as they have identified, so this kind of adaptation, which lacks the ontological reflection across different cultures, philosophies, in my view, would be rather superficial and limited. And in this way, I would say is cultural inappropriate. That's really interesting. So, in other words, you're saying these SEL, the the notions of self and other and emotions, are sort of understood as being these universal concepts, and the only thing that has to change. Is the way in which we teach them in different countries, not actually changing those particular concepts. Exactly. So the paper I'm right, it's on the review now. It's actually give providing an example of how this Cassell curriculum try to be transferred to a Chinese kindergarten, and during the whole process of transfer, they were being told that. What you can do is actually change the character's name, so change it to a Chinese kid's name, <laughs> and also not these stories is not happening in the U.S. anymore. So you need to draw a picture as the kindergartens in China, typical kindergartens in China. So that's the only thing they can do during the whole transfer process. So it then sort of brings us back to if these concepts of self and other and emotions are not universal, how can we think about them in other Other cultures outside of, say, this Western canon, and you, in your article, you look at two particular sort of traditions that come out of China, and of course have influenced many countries in Asia, particularly, and that is of Confucianism and Taoism. So, in Confucianism, how might we think about these notions of self and others and our emotions? Many philosophical scholars have elaborated the interrelated nature or. Someone would say related nature of selfhood in Confucianism. So basically, interrelatedness—that's the word I use for my article. I also quote Chinese. I think he might be Chinese、uh, scholar Yao. So he said that. 
Self is a relation formed and reformed in one's engagement in family and social communities, which means that who we are depends on who we live with, and especially for Confucian, is who we learn from. So, but this does not mean independent, autonomous selves form a kind of external relations. But a person can only become what. She or he is in relation to others. So that means that relationship is part of oneself. It's not external to oneself. I mean, I think this kind of like similar idea have been elaborated in a prominent work by Marcus and Kitayama. Their paper published in 1991. They conceptualize the independent self and the interdependent self. I think that would be really helpful. If I didn't make the whole idea clear, then maybe you can go to those <laughs> that paper and for more details about what I'm saying now. And then also another point I would like to highlight to help us to understand the selfhood. In Confucianism, is this kind of idea you share part of yourself with others in this interrelated relationship? This does not mean selflessness or simply obeying to external authority, as the term collectivism might indicate. Because I use the term interrelatedness, com uniqueness, to highlight that there is a sense of uniqueness in Confucian notion of self. But this kind of sense of uniqueness is different from the Western liberal sense of uniqueness. Because for Confucianism, a person is unique, but it's not because the internal attributes of her or himself, but because this person, his or her specific roles and relationships with others and in the society. So you are unique not because of yourself, but all, but because you are in a specific particular relationships with the surrounding others. So that's the Confucian notion of self. And based on this notion of self, I would like to emphasize two keywords to elaborate emotion in Confucianism. The first one is authenticity, and the other one is appropriateness. And we cannot really separate these two words when we consider the the notion of emotion. We need to make them as a whole. But when we elaborate, probably we need to elaborate in the anatomic way.、Uh, so authenticity stress emotion. Being felt hard, so you need to feel that, right? And also, you, they encourage you to express emotion as how you feel. So emotion should not be deliberately constrained. So that's the first thing. But this. Does not mean emotion should be given completely free reign because、uh, emotion in Confucianism it's molded through rituals or in Chinese word it's li and these rituals are originally set up based on ideal of how authentic emotion should be appropriately experienced and expressed. According to one's ethnic roles and their uh, and their uh, relationships, so Confucianism would emphasize that any person need to learn how to be how to emotionally respond to interrelated others in appropriate way through observing and participate in rituals. Okay, so that it's clearly clearly different than some of these Western notions that you've explained earlier. How does this compare to Taoism? Are there overlaps? Are there differences? How might we understand self and emotions from sort of a Taoist point of view? The first thing I would like to clarify is there are many like distinctions, differences, and tensions between notions and approaches in Confucian Taoist. 
sorts. But my study, my paper, would specifically focus on their commonalities in terms of selfhood and emotion. So based on this, I can probably reimagine alternative way of doing social emotional learning, right? So I would say that's what I focused in my paper. And the Taoist sale can be understood through the notion of wu wo. So literally, it means non-I or no self. But rather than entirely rejecting the sense of self, wu wo indicates a kind of, I would say, no self-self. It sounds a bit confusing, but I, I would explain that by taking Zhuangzi as an example. That's, that's my favorite philosopher, by the way. So for Zhuangzi, this no self-self specifically means losing a fixed egocentric self through a series of strategies of self-deconstruction and reconstruction. For example, Xinjai in English is fasting of mind or Zuowang means sitting in forgetfulness and Wuhua, which is transformation of things. So through all these strategies, Zhuangzi would say that you can become a person who can broaden your vision by emerging that with others and ultimately be aligned with Tao. That's another philosophic notion in Chinese philosophy. I think simply speaking, we can understand it as the rounding of the universe. So you are getting off the fixed egocentric self, but the self, but you still have a self, but this self is allowing you to transform yourself into someone else or into another kind of non-human being. Things. And by doing that, you would understand the world, seeing the world from their perspectives. So Zhuangzi would say um, this kind of emerging or alignment does not wipe out the diversity of all particular things. So it doesn't mean when you transfer yourself into another that you become the same with another. It's not that. It's more like in Chinese, Zhuangzi would say qi er bu tong. So what he means is basically everything is accordance, is in accordance with the running of the universe but in their own ways but by understanding each other emerging with each other's perspective broadening your own visions you may understand how the universe is running so that's how Taoism might understand self, non-self, self. I really like that. What about emotions? How would Taoism understand emotions? Yeah, so similar, like in the form like wu, it's like a non-I or no-self, right? So it's similar to that, that that is the notion of emotion. We can understand through the notion of wu qing. So it means without, no emotion, without emotion. But again, wu qing does not denote emotionless. So even the wise man that Zhuangzi would admire also has have emotions as ordinary people do but they respond to things they respond to things emotionally but not disturbed by emotions so i would say rather than from uh, free from emotions wuqing would means free for emotions by as i just mentioned broadening your emotion touch uh, or perspective with the whole world with everyone surrounding you and also seeing all things from emerging versions of Tao and knowing that everything is ontologically undifferentiated and all the circumstances are changing all the time. So rather than emotionally fixed with one moment, one thing or one perspective. So these two notions, no self-self and this Wu Qing is kind of like in a similar way of understanding the world and the, the relationships. And also with the self-cultivation of breaking the ego-centeredness, you will be able to attend to the nature of all things, embracing multiple perspectives, 
lives and also to be spontaneously. That's why I keep on saying in my paper, I emphasize the authenticities, not just for Confucianism, but also for Taoism, because you need to respond to things spontaneously, be true, be real in this way, but also reflect the alignment between one particular nature and the environment and the surrounding others. In this way, you will do things, you will be emotionally responding to things in an appropriate way. Right. So authenticity, appropriateness, interrelatedness, these are some of the key concepts that we must understand to understand SEL from a Confucian or Taoist sort of perspective. But let's take that further. Like, What would some sort of alternative model of SEL look like, in your opinion, based on some of these alternative philosophical foundations? In my paper, this part is the later part of my paper. And I would say just right now, I can only share some initial thoughts. I think that's yeah requires more work and further and deeper thinking in the future research. So I actually highlighted three points. So the first thing is, as we mentioned, that from the Western liberal or model modern uh, perspective, selves. It's at the center and also it's separated from others, right? So the first thing I would like to highlight is the focus of SEL should not be how children develop their social and emotional skills to enable them live well and successfully in the society, but rather a group of children to learn with each other about how to harmoniously live in the community by a with sufficient and concrete emotional bonds by actually building these bonds. So it's not like I teach children what should be the social emotional skills that you develop, but rather to let them communicate, interact with each other and building this very strong and also uh, concrete emotional bonds. That's the first thing I would like to highlight. And the second point is, as I can see, because I observed how the curriculum was implemented in Shanghai Kindergartens, and I can see that the core of the curriculum is like teaching you about the knowledge about various emotions and all these kind of like skills of operating skills, uh, operating emotions like deep breaths, counting exercises, this kind of thing, you know. But for me, it's like from as we can inspired from the Confucianism and Taoist perspective, probably the most more important thing is cultivate one to be able to experience the emotional interrelatedness. And I just mentioned earlier, if you look at the framework, they actually they didn't use the verb for emotion, for example, feel, experience. They rarely use this verb. So what I'm trying to say is to enable children to experience emotion bonds and also interrelatedness in their unique encounters with their surrounding others. So the tension of the children should be directed to the interactions in shared events between everyone, rather than focus on how I feel, how should I express my feelings, etc. And the last one, I would say, through social emotional learning, one is expected to be appropriately attend and respond to others' goals, aspirations, and feelings in emotional interactions. And this is not for the purpose to assert one's personal trait, to say that, oh, you are actually a great person because you can do that. Or express oneself as emphasizing Western notions of self, that you need to be able to clearly make your points, right? To express how you feel. So it's not about that. The point is, as you, as one, attends and responds to other people's emotional life,
life, both sides, both people can live in a fulfilled emotional life. So I would say these three kinds of shifts from the individual-centered and expressive emotions to more interrelated kind of like emotion learning. It's so fundamentally different in a way from, you know, like it's a complete change in how we would even approach SEL. What about connections to sort of the non-human world? I mean, are there, you know, in our interrelatedness with our environment, does that go beyond other humans? Yes, yes, it go beyond other humans, including all the non-humans and even those probably with no life. Because if you read my paper, I think the second example I used, it's actually not from me. It's like a sharing what I observed from the SEL curriculum with a teacher that I doing this training program with. And when I asked them, how do you think about this example? And they replied that they actually include the little boy's toys and also the boy's mother and the boy. They would say they have this kind of like in a shared event. So how can we understand their relationships? So for me, it's quite natural that you, you build this relationship with non-humans and those things without life. And but what we can see in the current, I mean, modern education is we have long treated non-human others as kind of like objects that we need to learn about. So it seems that they assume there is a human social world separated from the natural non-human world. And I assume probably that's why they call it social emotional learning, because they can see like we are living a social world. But in Chinese, we always say the heaven, the earth, and everything in between. So which is so if we like join on the Taoist perspective, all things in between are, as I mentioned, ontologically undifferentiated and united as one. So we don't just encounter other human beings in our life. How we interact with non-humans that involved in our interrelated context is constituting us and vice versa, I would say. So in, I would say in relation to others, there was a self and in relation to non-human there is a human. That's how I understand their relationships in from Taoist perspective. So, so we need to learn how to feel and attend to our coexistence with all others in between the heaven and earth, and appropriately respond to that kind of like a coexistence. Do you think? I mean, so by way of you know a final question here, do you do you ever think that this sort of alternative approach that you are starting to articulate here? Do you think it would ever be taken up by some of these big international organizations advancing and pushing, you know, SEL as as something that should be taught and learned in school? I, I guess, in other words, you know, do you think the OECD's framework, when it gets translated into Chinese, would actually include some of these different philosophical starting points? that you have articulated here? Like, how hopeful are you that that will happen? Well, honestly, actually, that's the question I ask myself all the time. I'm just thinking, like, what's the implication could be for those kind of, like, research if it's never reached to the organization and also, like, you know, with their big influences on the national policy makings and especially now in China. China is part, uh, one of the countries get involved in this, like, studies on social and emotional skills survey by the OECD and it's kind of like treating it as a big thing <laughs> in China. People are really proud of doing this. So, but for me, it's like I'm just keep on like criticizing things <laughs> and I 
I'm not very sure. Um, so far, what I can say, so far I cannot see any sign of acknowledgement and embracement of non-Western philosophies in their perspectives. I mean, especially let's see OECD for example. I mean, in 2014, I think like a group of international scholars already wrote open letter to Schleicher, right? And especially mentioning that measuring great diversity of education cultures traditions by using just one single and narrow yardstick would be quite dangerous to our students and education. But we can see no response from the OECD, right? And more specifically, like analyzing the framework the OECD using now, the Big Five model, and but for their surveys, nothing has really changed. They just keep on saying that if we just like changing the language and make it contextualize in some way, then this framework can be used across cultures so nothing really changed i guess they're just not bothered i think what you've done is you've raised a fundamental critique of what they're trying to do and if they respond to it they sort of agree in the end with your critique. And so it's easier to just not say anything. Well, Yu Yun, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed. I mean, it was just enlightening. There was just so much to learn from you, from your work. So thank you so much for joining. And please come back when you have developed this whole alternative way even more. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Yu Yun is an associate professor at East China Normal University. Her latest article on SEL appears in Educational Philosophy and Theory. A transcript of today's interview with a selection of resources for further exploration can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Fresh Ed, which takes no institutional position. If you liked what you've heard today, please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. Fresh Ed's team includes Sherry Yang, Fatih Aktas, Obafemi Ungunle, Dion Jiang, Annabella Afroboteng, Anya Lin, Phyllis Che Mensa, and Jose Neto. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Fresh Ed is an independently run podcast without advertisements and is made possible by the support of the Open Society Foundations, the UCL Institute of Education, NORAG, the ShockDev Family Fund, and listeners like you. Please consider donating to Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash donate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.